This is episode 88 of the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and I'm joined today by Mindy Carney. Hello. Hello, Mindy. We're at it again. Episode 88. Yeah. We're getting close to 100. We are. Not this year. No, well, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe. Well, I guess it's only Could March. Could be. I mean, that's only, what, 12 episodes away? Yeah. I think we could have it this year. Nine months? I guess we could. Yeah. I was thinking more like I, my years always run like school years, don't yours? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. End of the school year. <laughs> my husband's always like, now your school years, there's, you know, that's not a whole year. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. There's two, right. two types of calendars you can buy. You can buy the one that goes yeah. January to December or the one that goes August <laughs> to August or something. So. Right, right. Yeah. All right. So should we start with some news and follow up? Get straight down to business. Look at you. Oh yeah, sorry. No, that's fine. Did you want to? Did you want a small talk for a little bit? You know, I love to small talk. It's my favorite. I guess we've done enough of that already. <laughs> so um, the first one on the list. Did you see that Screencastify now has the ability to blur in the Screencastify editor? I did not see this until you put it on there, and then I looked it up, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, that's neat." Yeah. Yeah, so um, still part of the free features of Screencastify, which is awesome. And um, the only thing when I went in to play with it, I didn't think it was very intuitive about how to blur. It says you have to select the video clip, and I'm like, well, my video clip's right here. You actually have to click on your video clip down in the um, editing bar, Timeline. and then all of your features pop up. Yeah, thank you. Um, and so then, yeah, you're able to move, you know, like a little blur bar and put it where you'd like it. So I thought that was uh, a nice feature because that's not an easy thing to come by, to be honest. Like that little blur feature, you don't find that a lot of places. So yeah, it's one of those things you need. Um, usually need some kind of more professional video editor right. to do things like right. that. But there's always times where you want to like blur a username and password or right. you want to blur a student face or something like that. So mm-hmm. um, I think there's there's a way to do it. It's still a way to do it inside of YouTube if you need to. Yeah. But if you're not putting right. your video on YouTube, then, you know, that's yeah. definitely a good option to have. So you betcha. I found a YouTube tutorial for it that another teacher did for his district. Oh, okay. So I will mm-hmm. link that in the show for anybody else that wants to know how to blur in the Screencastify video editor. Nice. Okay. Uh, some follow-up um, from last week, and after the big dump of Google updates that we got in right. the Learning with Google uh, announcements, Eric Kurtz very kindly went through the mm-hmm. entire list of updates, sorted them out by you know by Google Tool, and put links to all the places where you can find out more information, video clips if there's video demos, mm-hmm. and he also listed out which is, I think, super handy, you know, which ones are going to be included in the free tiers of Google Workplace for Education and which ones are going to be on the paid tiers. So if you're wondering if you have access to these things, um, I will link this in the show notes as well, and you can take a look at those. And hopefully we're going to talk about some of that stuff a little bit later. I think we will. We are a yeah, special guest. Right. Oh, now you're all on the edge of your seat, right? Yeah. Yes, our guest <laughs> is the best person to talk about this for sure. Right. Coming up soon. Yes. Well, look at this. So looks like there's some wheeling and dealing in ed tech. Yeah, I just threw these in here because some of these I yeah. just ran across by accident. But there's been some ed sure. tech acquisitions. I don't know if these are very consequential, but I, I'm going to file yeah. these under things that make you go, huh. 
Oh my. Okay. Um, so it's an eighties reference. Okay. Yeah. 90s reference. Maybe. Early nineties. I don't know. I'll look that up later. Continue. Sorry. First up, Kahoot buys whiteboard dot fi or is it fi? Yeah. I don't. I don't know what those guys. I don't know. I I think I've heard people um, say it both ways. So it's a previous tech nugget. Um, Whiteboard.fi apparently launched commercially in Finland in 2020. So just last year. And um, really? Yes. In addition to their free offering, it has grown to over 7 million users on a 30-day basis. So there's lots of people um, using this right now. Using that, yeah. Kahoot says they're going to use it to expand into new areas of learning and make Kahoot a trusted destination for all learners, whether at school, work, or home. That's a press release thing right there. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, interesting to see what Kahoot will do with that. If you go to Mm whiteboard.fi now, it says part of the Kahoot family or something like that on the front page. So you can still yeah. use it, and you can still use it for free, but um, it's now right. owned by Kahoot. Okay, good to know. Next up, one of uh, Mindy's uh, favorite companies, Renaissance Learning. Least favorite. Okay, yep. Least favorite. <laughs> Renaissance <laughs> Learning has bought Nearpod for $650 million. That seems like a lot of money. I, That's I mean, a lot of money. I don't know what these things are worth, but um, yes, Renaissance Learning, uh, who also are known for their accelerated reader program, have agreed to acquire <laughs> Nearpod for $650 million. Now listen to this part. Okay. Nearpod is used by 1.2 million teachers across the world and in 75% of all public school districts. Mm. Would you have thought that? No. No. I mean, I know Nearpod's popular, but I don't know if I would have gone as high as 75% of schools in the U.S. It's certainly not being used by that many school districts in our area. Yeah. So that's probably why it would have been a surprise for me. Some of you are probably thinking, well, of course. I mean, everybody uses Nearpod. Yeah, everybody uses Nearpod. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have a high Nearpod usage in our Uh -uh, our schools, I don't think. But we do have some schools using it for sure. Great. Yep. And then, last but not least, this one kind of flew under oh, the radar, my. I thought, but What's I think it was interesting. Here? IXL has acquired yeah. Rosetta Stone. I, huh. So IXL I, Learning, you know, ooh. the 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 yeah. adaptive oh, yeah. learning suite of uh, tools. Adaptive? Are we calling IXL adaptive? Okay, maybe. Will you not say it's adaptive? Okay. Does it say that? Does it say that it's adaptive? I don't know if it says that or not, but it's well, it says here mm. IXL is an integrated learning pra- platform that effectively supports personalized learning in math, mm. English, language arts, science, social studies, and Spanish. Well, I have to admit, I haven't looked at IXL for a while, but when I used it in the classroom, and I did use it, what I really liked about it was that those um, the problems that I could give students were all divvied out by standard, which I thought was super nice and helpful. So mm. that's what it looks like in my mind. But, you know, I guess I haven't been there for a while. So And I didn't use the paid version. I only used um, what I could get away with for free. So um, I shouldn't pass any um, 
judgments on whether or not it's adaptive. I don't know. But I am interested in how what the relationship between these two is going to be. Yeah, does that mean they are going to add some modern foreign language type deals into their IXL platform? I mean, that is an interesting one. It's intriguing. Yeah, we'll keep our eye on that and see what happens. So there you go. Lots of movers and shakers in the EdTech world right now. Yeah, wow. All right, so served to you piping hot. Up next is our main course. It's Annie Nash from the Google Education team. Welcome to the show. She let us know right before we started recording that this is her first podcast interview, so it's super exciting. So welcome to the club. We're happy to have you. Yeah, thank you so much, Mindy and Jonathan, for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So I always love it. Wiley always starts with this first question is, so who is Annie Nash? Really let us know who you are. It sounds very profound, doesn't it? How deep <laughs> it is, is that? It does. Oh, gosh, I don't know if I have a profound enough answer, but yeah, who am I? I mean, I can start with you know the basics, like why did I qualify to be on your podcast uh, to begin sure. with? Um, so I work on the Google for Education team. I am a regional program manager on that team. So I actually live and work out of Chicago and support school districts, school leaders, um, and organizations across the Midwest. So I was one of them. Um, So I think that's how we all got connected in the first place. But a little more about me. I am a born and bred Midwesterner, grew up in uh, Michigan, uh, went to school over in Chicago, did a brief stint back in the Ann Arbor area before coming back here. And I've been here for for quite a while now. and let's see. Yeah, been at Google um, since 2012, though. So been on this team for five years, but did a, a number of other things at Google uh, prior to joining the education. But obviously been here the majority of my time and, and love love what I do on this team. So speaking of that team, what is it what's what it like to work for Google and what, what kind of things do you do on, on the education team? Yeah, Um well, I, you know, I've been at Google the majority of my career, so I personally like working here a lot. Um, so, so yeah, working at Google, I, I've always found it to just be a really great place. Um, the people, I think when, when even when Googlers, you know, leave the company to go on to other opportunities or whatever it might be, often folks will write uh, an email just saying, hey, I'm leaving, you know, Friday's my last day, whatever it might be. Um, and they usually always just say, you know, the thing I'll miss the most are the people. So I think that's what makes Google uh, has always made it such a great place for me to, to work. I just, I love the people I work with. They're passionate, they're hardworking, they're uh, super collaborative and fun to be around. So um, that's that's kind of my experience at Google. And, and that's, that's really been the case since I joined, um, you know, eight and a half years ago. Um, so I've just gotten to really kind of grow up here too, which has been a, a unique experience. Um, and I really like it. And I, I like I have opportunities now to even, you know, kind of mentor, uh, you know, folks who are newer, you know, younger, newer into their career. Um, And I really recognize myself because I was basically a new grad when I joined, um, like literally I grew up here. So, um, so yeah. And then on our team, what do we do? We do a number of things. So um, my particular role as a regional program manager, I'm working directly with school and district leaders. Um, I'm also uh, working some at times with different, you know, education agencies at the different state. Every state is structured a little differently. Um, So depending on the state and how those organizations are involved with the rest of the education ecosystem, it kind of just depends how we all work together. But I'm, I'm the, I'm the person that, you know, hops on the calls and is at conferences 
virtually and in person when that can happen again um, and really kind of maintain the relationship with all of our education customers that are using various Google products, um, things like Google Workspace, uh, things like Chromebooks and Chrome uh, uh, education upgrade management licenses and the like. Um, and then my other, the, the other component though of my team, just the overall Google for Education team, we're the team that's behind Google Classroom. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, in kind of the the education lens of Google Workspace. When you think about forms and and quizzes, and you know, a lot of the feedback, and that's a big thing I do, is bring a lot of feedback from the folks I work with. Um, who are using the products day, day in, day out in a teaching and learning or in an administrative capacity and bring that back to our team and help make sure we're building the roadmap that makes the most sense for everyone who needs it. Yeah, I was going to say that. I bet like the number one thing that people uh, probably accost you about is is features that they want to see in Google products. And every time they get FaceTime with you, they're like, oh, I'd really love hyperlinks in Jamboard or, or something like that. And they just throw things at you all the time. Yes. Yes. No, it, it certainly is. But I, I love it. Honestly, like listening to the feedback and bringing that back. And, and then when I when those things come to fruition, it's super rewarding. It's like, guess what? You know, mm-hmm. even just recently, you know, we made a lot of announcements in February. Um, even things like, guess what? Classroom rich text formatting is coming to post. You know, it's just like, woo, like it might seem <laughs> little, but it's not. It, it's super important and it really helps, um, especially teachers, you know. So, it, yeah, it's really rewarding to to get, get those things out there um, based on the feedback. And just to know, like for those teachers that are asking for for new features and things that the the education team is is listening to that feedback they're actually reading that feedback and processing that feedback and using that to help guide the development of their tools yep absolutely yeah 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 please yeah keep keep reminding folks yeah submit that feedback. oh we do we do yeah. Yeah. good 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 no it's true one thing i really have always liked about this team is i think we do take uh, we take we take user feedback super seriously, um, and, and you know I, I don't think we come to it from a place of we have all the answers. <laughs> I think we, we definitely come to it from a place of how can we best you know best serve, um, and, and you know we rely on the feedback of practitioners uh, to really help us do that. So I noticed that you said Google Workspace, and I'm still wrapping my head around that. So I'm glad you said it again because I probably would have messed that up, but. That was one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you, too, is these different tiers within Workspace and maybe some clarification of um, what that will look like or what that means for schools or how will that work. So do you want to talk a little bit more about what that will mean for schools in the in the foreseeable future? Yeah, absolutely. No, yes. Um, yes. And for what it's worth, I'm still getting used to it as well. I've been on the team since it was Google Apps, then it was yeah. and now it is Google Workspace. Um uh, same, same great, you know, same great <laughs> products, new name, right? Yeah, right. Um, okay. So Google Workspace is essentially the, the rebrand of G Suite. Um, so now Google Workspace for Education is what we call mm-hmm. formerly known as G Suite. Um, right. And just in February, we announced a lot of things. So we announced some different tiers, like you'd mentioned, Mindy. So um, for all the folks who have been using G Suite for Education, um, and have been using it for free, uh, are still using the free version. It, that version is now just called Google Workspace for Education Fundamentals. Um, and I think the, the big take home thing I, I hope folks really um, you know take away is that 
nothing is going away. <laughs> in fact, we're just adding, we're adding a lot. And in, in fact, actually we made, I think over 50 new product announcements on the 17th of February. And a lot of those, it, when you go through, um, are coming to the fundamentals version. So okay. still a case that it is an important, important platform. It's still where most users ultimately are worldwide. And we want to keep investing in, in that. Um, now, um, especially in 2020, we saw a huge uptick in what had formerly known as uh, G Suite Enterprise for Education. So we had had a premium version of enterprise uh, of educate of the G Suite uh, for Education uh, product. It's actually been around, I think, since 2018. It's been around for a while, but in 2020, just with um, some of the enhanced features that uh, came into play, both around privacy and security. Um, and like security and admin tools, actually, I should mm -hmm. say, and um, meet and video conferencing. So all of a sudden, um, you know, that was a, it was a really high demand. So a lot of folks started to upgrade so that they could get some of the enhanced features, premium features of Google Meet in particular. Um, and we got some feedback though, that, you know, a lot of folks at the time, you, you kind of either had the free version or you upgraded and you got all these tools. You had tools for teaching and learning. You had tools for um, IT admins all in one big bundle. Um, so that one big bundle is now called Google Workspace for Education Plus. So folks who have already bought the enterprise version, you, st you have all the same things. It's now just called Education Plus. Um, but for folks who you know might not have already you know, didn't purchase it already, but wanted to just say, you know what, we we're kind of good. We don't really we we maybe we use a different LMS, maybe we use different video conferencing. We actually really are most mostly interested in the uh, admin security and analytics tools. So we might just upgrade to the standard version. So basically, we introduced two kind of interim versions. So again, fundamentals. And plus, I'm using lots of hand uh, gestures, which I realize people can't see. Um, but those are the two main things. And now two additional kind of interim. If you just want the admin tools, there's a standard version is what it's called. And if you just want the enhanced meet or some of the enhanced classroom uh, features we announced that are coming, that's where you, you could just purchase the teaching and learning upgrade. That was a lot. Mindy, Jonathan, keep me honest. Was it super confusing? I tried to make it not as confusing, but I don't have any visual aids to help me. So please ask questions if you're like, wait, what? Because um, it is, a, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot to process because um, it's new information. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that works much better on video than audio, but mm. I know exactly where you're coming I from. I followed we'll, you exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. We can link to, um, there's a there's a page that you guys have put together that compares all the four tiers together. But yeah, basically, if you were on the free version before, you're now going to be on Google Education Fundamentals. And if you had the enterprise version, you'll be on Google Workspace for Education Plus. And then there's a couple of uh, tiers in between there, just with additional tools and things. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jonathan just said it so <laughs> succinctly. Uh, you did not need me on this. He just, just restated your words and called him his own. So, Annie, I do have a question, though, a follow-up question. How? What's the cost like for that? Is it per student? Is it per school district? Um, how How will schools be charged for something like that if they decide to upgrade? Yeah, so the new pricing will be available in mid-April. Um, okay. And for the 
plus and the standard, it's going to be priced on a per student basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I want to make sure I don't say this wrong, but I think for mm-hmm. every four licenses of student licenses you get, you get one free additional oh, nice. staff license. Okay. Um, so that's how that's going to work. And then the only exception is with the teaching and learning upgrade. So that one, we did price that one differently. Um, so that it's actually not based on student. It is on just a per license basis in general. Okay. So you, so the use case would, would be if, let's say, only a particular department or a particular school or even certain grade levels wanted to upgrade to the enhanced classroom and meet they could without having the entire district um, upgrade. So we just wanted to introduce a bit more flexibility for that. Sure. Okay. Well, just for fun, um, you know, we, in the learning with Google event, there was all kinds of new updates and things that were thrown out there. We've talked about some in, on the, on the last episode we did here, but I thought maybe we just go round Robin and everybody pick one of their favorites and, Mm. uh, just talk about why you're looking forward to that one. So, oh, I better look at this cheat sheet that you linked in here. Okay, yeah. So I linked in a cheat sheet from our our, our friend of the show, Eric Kurtz, yeah. who right. went through and listed off all the upgrades and all the different departments and linked to all the different things on there too. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe while you guys are thinking, I'll I'll just jump in and and pick one here. But um, I think one of my favorites is the. The screen recording on Chromebooks. Mm-hmm. I think that'll be a really awesome one for for students to take advantage of. I, you know, I, I think you're always going to have extensions and add-ons and things like that for things. But if you can have one less, then I think that would be um, a really awesome thing to have. Just to have students show what they know, um, but also have teachers to have a quick, easy way to create tutorials and videos and things like that too is going to be great. So that looks like it's coming this month. Is that right, Annie? I think so. Yes. Um, yeah, it should be coming soon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always have to, I, I too have my own cheat sheets. There's so many. <laughs> I was like, when, when did we say it was coming? But yeah, I do believe that's coming quite soon. Um, yeah, that's an exciting one for sure. And that just comes as an update to Chrome OS, so nothing exactly. that people just need to do or versions. install. Yep. Yep. All right. What have you got, Mindy? Um. So I and I we talked about this one last time. I would say too, but I'm really intrigued by the um, ability to come back to your Google Form as a draft, and I think that that is probably going to be more powerful than we give it credit for. Um, we have lots of school that, schools that work with blended learning, and I'm imagining in my head creatively trying to think what that would look like as a playlist. And if you could use a Google form as your playlist and then a submission of um, accountability work, you know, within that, within that form. Um, so I'm kind of excited to play with that yet and see what that might look like. That's a really, yeah, those are both really great ones. Um, okay. I mean, I I mentioned the one of rich text formatting coming to classroom. Uh, Another one I should I should mention uh, that I'm excited about for classroom is um, the uh, classroom add on. So more integration coming into classroom when you're using third party ed tech tools like uh, Kahoot, Nearpod. um, uh, I think we announced Adobe Scratch. Am I saying that right? Adobe Scratch. Am I saying that right? Adobe Spark. 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 I'm like, scratch. Mm-hmm. Why am I, give me all my, no, yeah, I was like, that does not sound right. 
I'm thinking Scratch Cody. Sorry, yeah, Adobe Spark, um, and 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 several others. Um, so just the ability to you know work, open those, uh, attach those uh, into assignments or posts, and then allow students to work on those things directly, all within the classroom interface. I caveat, I do have to say that is actually a part of the teaching and learning upgrade or the um, uh, Education Plus version. Um, but everything that you both uh, mentioned and the rich text formatting, those are all going to be coming to fundamentals. So just wanted to include that asterisk. Mm -hmm. So previously you could like share things like from Kahoot and things like that to Classroom. How are these add-ons going to be different? So that you would just create your Kahoot quiz from Classroom and things like that? Is that how that's going to work now? Yeah, exactly. So, so it takes away... No extra logins would be required. Um, and also kind of imagine, uh, at least the way it's been described to me, is it hasn't launched yet. It's coming later this year. But um, when you, uh, you know, open up your drive, let's say if you're creating a classroom post or a classroom assignment and you have access to all the things in your drive, if you have these integrations, you now just see those as options as well. So you can create huh. it directly within classroom, assign it. And then when students are opening it, they don't have to then, even go to another tab, they can all work right nice. within the classroom interface. So that's, um, it, it. yeah, it's kind of building on some of the integration that already exists um, and just making it even more more cohesive and more, more you know, streamlined. And there's lots of, I'm not even going to pick one, I don't think, but there's lots of great updates coming for Google Meet as well. I think during the spring when we um, went virtual and, and things like that, and a lot of people were turning to video calls, uh, we heard a lot, how do you do this in Meet? And how do you do that in Meet? And sometimes mm -hmm. the answer was, right now you can't do that in Meet. But it's great to see that those um, those uh, supports are coming for things like ending the meeting for all students and more admin controls and stuff like that. So those are, are great options to have on there. Yeah, and, and just on that point, ending the meeting for everyone, muting everyone on the call, That's that. those things are actually currently in the process of rolling out. Um, like, so coming very soon. Um, we mm -hmm. actually posted that on the um, Google Workspace Updates blog. Just a quick plug um, for anyone. That's always a really great resource. If you're like, I know that they mentioned this. Is not out yet? When can I expect it? We always post everything there as soon as it starts to roll out. And usually it takes about two weeks or so to roll out, depending on, you know, your district's release version, which don't want to get too far into the weeds, but yeah, there's, there's like a fast track and then a, a scheduled um, track as well. So you can always ask your your administrator um, if you're curious. All right. Well, Annie, a little birdie told me that you also have a, a passion for accessibility and for um, exploring some of the impact that those accessibility tools can have inside of Google. So can you speak to a little bit to that about the importance of that and maybe of some of the new things that are coming out for for people that need them? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so I um I come from a family of special education teachers and parapros. Um my mom and my aunts, uh between the three of them. So I've I've always just really been passionate around about accessibility and I do a lot of work around uh, just I identify myself as being a member of the disability community um, and do a lot of work with the disability community here in Chicago. Um, so yes, yeah, so it just it is truly just a passion area of mine. And so um, your listeners might be familiar with the concept of a 20% project um, at Google. If you're not, 
It just means uh, this idea that, you know, you can kind of work on a passion project for up to 20% of your time. So this is one that I do, although it's really nice because I'm able to integrate it quite well into just my core role. And so I actually serve as my team's uh, kind of accessibility subject matter expert or liaison, if you will, with our product teams. So I'm, you know, able to, again, keep the feedback lines of communication very open, specifically from the education team and education users and the uh, product managers and the UX designers and all the folks who are truly building everything. So um, I'm, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm excited. There's so much, I think, uh, already built in, especially right into Chromebooks. Um, you know, if, if folks are using Chrome OS um, and, and yeah, I mean, there's so many things that we just recently announced to like switch access is now available on Chromebooks. If students, um, you know, who have, motor impairments that might use a switch device, they can use that on their Chromebook. Um, you know, just even things with select to speak improvements um, in using our screen readers. There's a Chrome Vox screen reader, which is a very full, full uh, screen reader built right into the Chrome Chromebooks, uh, the Chromebook operating system or Chrome OS. And select to speak is what it sounds like. You can select just different areas, um, but the, lots of improvements coming and some things that I have launched recently, just the ability to kind of dim the background to make it easier to follow along what's being read aloud. Um, so yeah, you know, I just see for education, there's obviously so many uh, implications beyond um, helping, you know, users who might be hard of hearing or who are deaf, but also reading comprehension, things of that nature. So, you know, just, you know, with that, that lens for, you know, universal design for learning as well. These are all areas that I just, I find so fascinating. I, I don't profess to be an expert, um, but I'm just passionate and I'm always uh, looking to learn more as well. So yeah, so that's a little bit about the accessibility stuff. Yeah, you talked about UDL there. And I, you know, I think that relates back to one of the things I think um, I'm seeing more and more of in, in classrooms. And that's just the the thought that although these types of features were created for a specific group of people to help them with with their with their needs, that it's tools that everybody can use. And so my son, and you know, he'll he'll use speech to text quite a lot. He's in third grade. He doesn't need to, but his typing is not great right now, and his spelling is not great right now. So um, he uses things like speech to text to to get his thoughts down on on the page. And if you're not, you know, assessing his spelling, then you know what is what's the harm in that? And I think you know that's just one example of many different things that you can use on your on your devices for accessibility features. Yeah, absolutely, and even even for you know English language learners or. Um, just the built-in captions that are in Meet. Um, that now, by the way, if you haven't noticed, you can have the captions be in Spanish. I think Portuguese, French, and German. I believe now. So if I were if I were to be fluently speaking any of those, it could caption it and, and recognize that I was I was speaking those languages, which is very cool. And and you know even built-in uh, captions on slides as well have have come a long way over the last couple of years since they've been there. So. Yeah, I, I agree. There's so many applications um, and, and it can always help so many people. Well, I think you bring up a good point, especially talking about the Chrome OS, which really I think is um, the powerhouse of the Chromebook, of course. So over the amount of time that Wiley and I have um, 
well, especially me, been working with Grant Wood, we've just really seen the impact of um, Chromebooks and it's really helped, I think, get devices into every child's hands. So, you know, what do you see in the next 10 years for Chromebooks or um, what impact are you guys measuring of those Chromebooks in classrooms? You want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Chromebooks. I, I, um, I'm, I'm just a personal, <laughs> personally, a very big Chromebook fan. Like, I think even if I were not working on the ADU team, I just, I love Chrome. I've, I've worked personally on a Chromebook for at least the last six years. Um, it's all I, so I do all my daily work and it's, it's my home computer as well. So Chrome OS, I think huh, where to begin. I mean, yeah, it, it's been around for about 10 years. Um, it's come so, so very far. Um, and in terms of form factors, you know, from a kind of standard laptop clamshell to the whole 360 hinge with the world facing camera. So students can capture things like, like a tablet mode. Um, I just think we're going to continue to see so much more with Chromebooks. And actually one thing we um, just uh, created at, as a helpful guide, especially this year, because uh, you know, school got, you know, flipped on its head in terms of how we <laughs> normally approach it, right? So oh, yeah. um, we created a guide to help um, particular school leaders that are making, you know, buying new Chromebooks or refreshing Chromebooks or whatever it might be, a guide to help them, you know, kind of choose the right Chromebook for the right activity. So if you're, sure. you know, thinking that your Chromebooks are going to be primarily in the classroom, maybe for your younger grades, um, they may or may not take them home, if and when, you know, things get back to a bit more normal, um, you know, there's, there's a Chromebook for that, right? Like that's not designed for the eight hours a day of being on a video conference. Sure. If, if you are still anticipating a lot of video calls uh, with running an LMS or whatever, you know, different tabs, there's something for that. And then for your power users, for staff, we're seeing a lot more folks, you know, invest in, in Chromebooks as their staff, either primary or secondary device. Um you know, and usually, you know, teachers want a bit more of a higher power machine. The cool sure. thing with Chromebooks is they've there. You can you can get as much of a souped up Chromebook at device in terms of just that that built in power, you know, as you want these days. So I just think Chrome has expanded so much. And, and what I think is the true magic of Chromebooks um, and, you know, I mentioned the form factors and how you how they look and feel and, and touch and not, you know, all of that. But I think it's that OS, uh, Mindy, like you said, that is what makes it so cool. And I just, as a user of Chrome, just seeing how it's changed and grown and all that's even coming just on a regular basis, right? We, we, we launched a new version of Chrome OS roughly every six weeks or so. So it's just incredible to see the actual user interface, you know, like what you kind of know and love, what makes a Chromebook a Chromebook change over time. Um, just from a productivity standpoint, I, it, it's, yeah, I think it's a really cool, cool device. I think, um, you know, there's, there's something out there for everyone if they want it. Yeah. I've, I've been at Grant Wood now for, I think this is my 10th year and, you know, I'm a pretty tech savvy guy. I can usually recognize most devices that are, are kicking around, but when I Join Grant with Stacy Beamer, who you are familiar with, and another colleague of mine, Tony Amsler. They were they were walking around with these CR forty eights, and I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, these were like the original prototype Chromebooks. I'm like, what what is that? I have never seen anything like that before. And so just you know, thinking about how far they've come, like you said, and you know, when they first came out, 
they were all basically very similar spec-wise. You know, they might be made by Samsung or Acer or something else, but now that you can, you know, you can get a little bit more power and, and option them up, gives gives them more flexibility again, I think, for sure. Do you have a CR48 hiding in your closet somewhere <laughs> or not? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I, I, and I think I still, I have one of the originals. I think it's like at my mom's house these days. Yeah. I think it's still around, you know, still kicking. All right. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? Anything else that we should know about in the world of Google Workspace for Education? Any things that are need to be on people's radar? Things for people to look out for? I think we covered a lot of it, and I know you. You know, you mentioned a few links that you'll be sharing out as well. I'm happy to add it. Any, you know, if there's anything else too, but I think we covered a lot. I think just. That cheat sheet that you mentioned, some of those Mm -hmm. additional product announcements, like I said, I think we made over 50. So there's a lot and we touched (laughs) on just a handful. So really encourage folks to to just read up and and kind of see what's on the horizon for the rest of this year. If people were looking to to find you or get in touch and ask questions, uh, where where would they go? What's a good place to find Annie? That's a great, great question because I... I do have a Twitter, but I, I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big social media user. And I know that, you know, that's like not, not the, not, I actually signed up for Twitter when I first joined the EDU team. Cause I know that's where a lot of educators are. So you could find me there. Um, but otherwise um, you, I think working honestly with uh, your AEA uh, group, like that's one way to get in touch with me. I do have, um, uh, I haven't, I have a, email alias that I can share out that would reach anyone in my Chicago office too. So we can make sure if I'm, if I'm the right person to get in touch with you and your district, or if it's one of my colleagues, we can kind of uh, check that out. So we can maybe link that into the show notes as well. Well, you and Mindy are in the same boat on Twitter right now. So <laughs> it's not Mindy's favorite place Don't to be. Don't go either. on there. Yeah. Golly. I went on there again yesterday. I always kind of go back on right before the podcast, just for like, you know, an hour before and just kind of look around like what's going on in the world. I'm like, ugh. I don't like to be on here. (laughs) Well, Annie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us and kind of clarifying, I think, some of the questions we had, too, around um, those new tiers for the Google Workspace and um, just kind of sharing your insight. It's always nice to just talk to someone new. And we talk at Google so much, you know, on the podcast and stuff. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my gosh. Thank you both so much for having me. This was super fun. You made a very uh, fun and easy first podcast experience. Thank you very much for that. (laughs) All right. So up next, my favorite part of the show is Tech Nuggets. All right. Tech Nuggets. I like Tech Nuggets. Yeah, I know. Are you going first then? Um, I can if you like. Okay. Um, Sure. Oh, (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's my favorite part. I mean, I can do it if you want me to. (laughs) Said with such enthusiasm. No kidding. All right. Well, I have two two tools this week brought to you courtesy of uh, Jennifer Gonzalez, who brought them to my attention. And I think I mentioned her last week. So I'm just going to be, yeah, on a Jennifer Gonzalez kick for a while, I think. Uh, The first one is uh, Prezi Video. What's happening here? Okay. I think it's interesting and worth mentioning. And I I know Prezi, we think of those, you know, presentations that you zoom in and out of. And they got kind of cliche for a a while. But they're branching out a little bit and trying to do something different. And so it's called Prezi Mm -hmm. Video. And I think they're... 
their goal here is, you know, typically like a screencast would be, you know, you in a little square in the corner of the screen while you're showing a website or something. So they're Mm -hmm. trying to make that a little bit more interactive. And because I'm in the process of teaching a screencasting class, I thought this might be kind of interesting. So if you click on that link there, you'll see, you know, there's a little video that runs on the front page there. And it basically means you have your, your webcam looking at you and recording you but then yeah. up on the side you know some oh. graphics and things appear you can have your slides appear it's almost like you know on on SNL when they do, they do the news and they have like things over their shoulder and stuff like that so yeah. it's it's right. that kind of interactive thing you can um, maybe have an outline of your content and then zoom in closer to some slides and then zoom out sure. and so I don't know it says it is free and it's, but it's kind of like free-ish. You know, there's there's yeah. tiers that go along it in terms and of, of what you want. If you don't want the watermark, if you want high-definition video exports. But if you're looking to try something different with your screencasting, you may want to take a look at Prezi Video. Yeah, no, I um, I think it looks really nice. It You know, because otherwise you... To get a look like that, you'd have to do some serious video editing right. or know what you're doing or have a powerful enough software to do it. So, yeah, I think it might be fun to kind of play with that a little bit. They have a bunch of built-in templates and things and graphics, and nice. you just choose the one you want, and then you type in the text you want to appear in the box, and it appears up there mm-hmm. for you. So, Yeah. Hmm. Prezi video. Free-ish. Free-ish <laughs> for teachers and students. <laughs> Um, all right, so um, I turned on Backtap on my phone. Have you seen this? I have seen this. I'm curious yeah. as to what you're tapping on the back there. The Apple. Yeah, well, okay. What are you invoking <laughs> with your Backtap? Oh, I see. All right, well, first of all, to tell you where to find it, it's in your settings under Accessibility and then under Touch. And then you have to turn on your... Um, back tap and then you choose whether you want to double tap or triple tap and then it gives you a menu of things that you can turn on um some of them are real heavy in the accessibility options which i you know i looked through and was like oh would any of these help me and there wasn't a lot in there that um i would choose for myself as a user a couple options that might be interesting would be that you can turn your camera on with it Mm. Um, you can open up your text messages to a brand new text, like open, compose. Um, and it, so I tried a couple of those just to see, and I was like, no. Nah. Camera, I feel like with the um, notification center, not notification center, but what's the drop? What do you pull down? What do you call that? Control center, right? Yes, control, control center. center. Um, that's a pretty easy thing for me to do, and it's right there on your home screen, too, even when your um, you know, screen is locked. So. Actually, what I turned on, and this is going to sound super weird, is I turned on my notification center right. with it because for some reason I feel like with um, the updates to the iOS as it's kind of gone on is that notification center doesn't just show up anymore. Like it used to be you could just pull down on your lock screen and I feel like that isn't either working for me or maybe it's in my settings somewhere. But So I have a lot of my notifications turned to not persistent so they'll just flash on my phone and then they'll go away well um it's nice for me when i'm working because it doesn't distract me like i don't see like all of these notifications on my phone necessarily um 
But sometimes it's just nice to be able to see my list of notifications instead of having all of these red numbers on my phone. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I've started using it just as like if I, you know, have been working for a couple hours and like, let's say I'm lunch, I'll just turn on my notification center and kind of flip through those things and see if there's anything that I need to take a look at or um, I'm always shopping for houses. So like I have Zillow notifications that pop up, you know, and but those aren't things that I would work at look at during my work day, but I would still like to take a look at them, that kind of stuff. So I, I know that seems weird because I'm kind of anti-notification, but it is a nice way to go through all those notifications at one time instead of like having to look through and see what I'm missing or um, especially like I feel like with my kids' seesaw stuff, I don't have, I tend to miss some of those things in seesaw. Uh, so when I can look at my notifications, I'm like, oh, I've got like 15 notifications from today. I should probably go in and look at seesaw. So um, I'm hoping that more stuff comes to that back tap because I think it's kind of a neat feature to be able to use it. But um, yeah, so this that was kind of a fun little nuggety nuggety to share. Yeah, and I think it falls into that category. We we were kind of having this conversation with Annie for a little bit about how this was obviously created as an accessibility feature, but right. anybody mm-hmm. can use it for whatever right. they need. And, you know, things like the control center, you know, like you said, is easy to access. But if you have one of those like big Pro Max phones that are giant and you've only got yeah. one free hand, it's almost yeah. impossible to get your thumb all the way up to that corner to swipe down mm-hmm. and get it. So the back tap is is pretty good for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I used it for a while to do like screenshots and then I just kind of oh, forgot yeah. I had the back tap on there because, yeah. you know, certain cases and things, it's hard to press the right buttons or press them in the right order or something to get a screenshot and things like that. Right. too. The only other thing I've seen people use them for is uh, shortcuts. I don't know if you've yeah. experimented with that before, but if you have a sh- if you have a shortcut, an automation or something that you run, like you want to turn on a lamp in the living room or something, you can mm-hmm. double tap the back or run that shortcut and turn on your lamp or something so yeah all right well we can put a link to that on there for people who are wanting to back tap as well my second nugget is like i said from jennifer gonzalez this Mm -hmm. one is a website that she highlighted i thought might be uh useful for some people it's called embracerace.org okay and um, it says, you know, let's raise a generation of children who are thoughtful and informed and brave about race. So if you're looking for resources on how to have a multicultural classroom and um, ways to involve your students in conversations around things like that, this is a great place to look. So they have a lot of resources on here where they mm-hmm. have uh, webinars, they have articles, they have action guides, they have children's books, they have stories. And, you know, I I know if probably the biggest thing when people are trying to do things like that is they don't know where to go to find, you know, examples of multicultural um, stories and things like that. And having all in one place is is a nice thing to have. So it's a non-profit thing um, run by, it was started by a, by a husband and wife, um, but oh. got bigger much faster and they now have a national advisory group and a leadership team and all this kind of stuff on there too so they have an email newsletter too if you want to sign up and and get resources from them so embrace race i hadn't heard of that one before that's a great resource yeah all right um my last tech nugget um 
is goes with Pear Deck. So we've talked quite a bit about Pear Deck and the Pear Deck in the past. But there are some resources through Pear Deck. They've paired. You see what I did there? Yeah. With um, Be Internet Awesome, which is a Google tool around digital citizenship, and so they have built some templates together. Um, so involving the um, interactivity of Pear Deck and the ability to kind of collect some data as well as the great resources from Be Internet Awesome. So in the show notes, we'll share a link to the page where you can get those um, resources. And actually, when um, you go to this page, you have to install. It says install, which I was like, that doesn't make sense. But it installs all of these resources into your Google Drive. And so they're put into folders by um, units within Internet Awesome. And... um, I just think it, it's a another great way. We haven't talked digital citizenship much lately. It doesn't seem like, but um, just another great resource to um, get kids talking about um, their internet usage. And um, I believe I saw a template in there that talks a lot about, um, you know, judging your life against the life of someone that you see in social media and how that affects our. Um, mental state or mental health. And yeah, so just some good stuff out there through Pear Deck, especially for our teachers uh, within the state of Iowa that now have Pear Deck for free for this year. So um, thought that might be a good resource that could be helpful. Yeah, and you're right. We don't talk about digital citizenship all that much right now. And I feel like, you know, maybe current climate and everything is more important than ever but yeah. this, does this mean it's the return of, of Mindy's uh, fortnightly s'more on digital citizenship that we used to enjoy so much <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> okay well that was pretty uh, emphatic <laughs> oh, funny alright so being a good episode today it's good it was good to talk to Annie wasn't it and have yeah, you know, be able to go yeah, straight absolutely. to the source and get some ideas and, and and questions answered on that sort of thing so she was really awesome to have all right so I think that about wraps it up for another exciting episode like 88 yes, like sir. you said so you know we've Number done this 88. 88 times now you'd think I'd know how to end the podcast by now wouldn't you yeah you'd think people would be tired of hearing from us yes <laughs> So we'll put links to everything we talked about in the show. If you want to follow me or find me on social media, I'm at Jonathan Wiley. Mindy is at Mm -hmm. Team Kearney. Mm -hmm. Sometimes our team account is at DLGWAEA. And that is everything we have for today. So Mm -hmm. exciting guests coming up. We've had the first exciting guest. We have two more exciting guests, don't we? A little bit of a series. A little bit of a Marion mini-series. Yes. Mm -hmm. So until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
So <laughs> stay tuned. This has been the, at- oh, oh, I'm sorry. You're still rambling. Stop rambling. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> verbal diarrhea right now. Yes. <laughs> so until oh. next time. This has been the Tech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. <laughs>